We're not digging that hole any deeper. All right, y'all got anything you want to talk about? Anything on your minds? Anything that is appropriate to the discussion at hand? No? All right, we're wrapping up the book of Ephesians. We're at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, um, where we, we're starting a, a new section. And this is the Sunday school section that everybody's done. When we talk about Ephesians, everybody grabs hold of it for, for realistically two little chunks of verses if you're a Lutheran. We love the by grace and not by works section in the end of uh, the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. And we love the whole armor of God because it lets us cut something out of cardboard and dress up our little children um, as if they can be Christian soldiers. These are the, the two big passages that, that everybody comes to with these things. And, and by and large, we, we like to divorce them from the rest, especially that bit that we just talked about with marriage because it was really awkward. Um, when we talk about this all the way through, though, what's been the big theme? across the whole book of Ephesians, because the word that we're starting with is finally, this is a a summation word, in conclusion, where you know if you have to write an essay for school, in conclusion doesn't mean you come up with new stuff, it it means you sum up what you've already talked about. So what have we talked about for the last couple of years with the book of Ephesians? Christ and the church has been a big theme. What are some other ones? Baptism has been huge in the book of Ephesians. We can go by grace, you've been saved, right? And not by works, lest any should boast. So do you think if, if those have been the themes across the whole book of Ephesians, we're going to change gears radically when we conclude? So I'm going to write a whole essay. I'm going to write a 10-page term paper. And as soon as I get to conclusion, I'm going to blow the whole thing up and write a conclusion paragraph that, that totally undoes all the work that I've done so far because I'm a terrible student. No? All right, so if that's the case, then as we start to come towards the armor of God, are we going to suddenly drop the Christ in the church and the baptism and the by grace and not by works and then just all of a sudden say, now you have armor, so go fight stuff. Go be good Christian soldiers. So let's take a deep breath as we kind of go through this thing because as we deal with this verse, if you want to put the impotence on you, it gets uncomfortable really fast as soon as you put away your Bible highlighters because it sounds great and actually start to live your life that way because it never actually goes near as well as we intended to. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 starts this way. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. And I get my little highlighter out because that sounds nice. That's, that's, that's masculine and I, I can get behind that. Um, but just right there it tells us whose, whose might is it? God's might. So my might because God loves me? No, it's his might because he's God. But it's, it says that I'm supposed to be strong. So I'm, I'm in charge though, right? No. I'm supposed to put on... Good, let the Lord... All right, so if we go to a back a, a, a bit, because we're, we're summarizing. Let's go Ephesians 3.21 and see what we're talking about then. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. To him... Be glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Who's getting glory? Christ. So when he says be strong, he means do really impressive stuff so people will think you're great. I really want to wear cardboard armor. Okay. <laughs> um, if this is God's might, if this is God's will, who's directing where the strength goes? God. We're not saying that Christians aren't strong in the Lord. What we're saying is that we are strong in the Lord. And the most important part there is not strong, but in the Lord. Because if you are in the Lord, you will be strong. 
And if you're so focused on being strong, what might you maybe stray from? Well, the Lord. And that's usually when it starts to go poorly. Um, there's a, a, a verse that uh, we love to highlight for, for these kinds of things. I'm going to go to Philippians 4.13. Um, if you brought your own Bible from when you were younger, I guarantee you this one's probably highlighted. Philippians 4.13 sounds amazing. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Same thing, right? It's almost like Paul knows what he's talking about. He might be recycling just a little bit. That's okay. I can do all things through Christ who, th- who strengthens me. And I say, great. I'm going to highlight that and get an A on my test until I didn't get an A on my test because I didn't study. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what's going on? Do you see the, the distinction? If you want it to, to be on you to do all things, whose will? My will. If you want it to be on God, whose will? God's will. We can do a, a simple thought experiment. Have we ever practiced this one, uh, the dinosaur one? All right, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is it in the Bible? Is God a liar? Is God wrong? So turn into a dinosaur right now. You can do all things, and that is one of the things. I think it would be cool. You'd have little arms, and it'd be hard to reach stuff, but otherwise it is 100% a win. If you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, do all things. Show me. This is my point. If we're going to do this thing, to, to sort of grab hold of this, I can do all things, and that means I can do all things that I want to do because Christ strengthens me, we're going to hit a brick wall really, really fast. Either we're going to come to the, a few conclusions. We can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and by all things, I'm not actually going to put a, an asterisk on it and say all things but realistic things. Because it doesn't say I can do all realistic things. It says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if you want to go wild with this, there are denominations that do. You can be healthy and wealthy and wise. You can cure your cancer, your arthritis, your anything. Just, you want to be poor? Be poor. But if you don't want to be poor anymore, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you know you just, you do it. And so I tried it. And either there's not a God, because I didn't succeed, or worse, that God hates me because he's there, but I didn't succeed. So I guess I don't have that God who's there. Or maybe I'm just sort of twisting God's word to try and cram my will into it instead of his. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe I could even rise from the dead. I have a big problem with that, yeah. Um, I have a big problem with the idea that, that we can sort of co-opt scripture to fit our will when the whole point of it is, is God's will. When, when we do the, the name it and claim it, which is shorthand for the prosperity gospel that you'll see on televangelism, that you'll see from like, if you go to Barnes & Noble and you walk down the, the Christianity aisle, please just don't. But if you do, um, there'll be books by, a lot of them are by like, Joel Olstein is a big guy behind this now. There are, there are others who have gone before because it's not a new thing. As it turns out, if you tell people that their religion lets them have everything that they want, they're going to love their religion until it doesn't work. And so he writes book after book after book because the last one didn't work. He's still very, very wealthy. Oprah was impressed by his house. I mean, if Oprah's impressed by your stuff, that, that you're doing okay. Um, I'm just saying. But the thing is, when, when we say this name it and claim it thing, whose will immediately takes a back seat? 
God's will. Because what if I name something that God knows better than to give me? Let's do it this way. What if God is, in fact, our Heavenly Father? Does, does it say that anywhere in the book? Yeah. Yes, it does. Um, all right, so do we play name it and claim it at home with my children? I am their father. They are my children. Do we play name it and claim it? They have whatever they want. No. How come? Because I'm not a horrible dad. Seriously. I'm not a great dad, but I'm not that bad. If we want to do this for for God and say name it and claim it, what we're saying is God is not so much father as butler. Because if you actually want to call him father and mean that, you mean he's pretty terrible at his job. Because the dad that just wants to be your friend and not your dad is not a dad worth having. Father means more. Um... So when we say then, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might, we, we have to actually recognize that if it's God setting his will towards a thing, it's going to happen because God is strong. If it's your will, well, yeah, it's, it's going to falter. And so we're taught from a very early age to pray a certain way. Thy kingdom come, thy... On... Don't let your will just be done up there. Even let it be done down here. How is God's will done? Ooh. God's will is done when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we as the children of God lead holy lives according to it. Help us to do this to your Father in heaven. Um, when we talk about it this way, what we recognize is not just that God has a specific will, but that he has even revealed major portions of it to us right here in Scripture. And so this is where we turn for these things then. And so I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but I can do the things that Christ needs me to do, not the things that I want to do. Because let's be honest, it would be great to turn into a dinosaur until I couldn't actually reach anything because I had little arms. And yes, that's a silly example. But then I say, well, God, if you really loved me, you would make me rich. And then I recognize the fact that that would actually make me a worse person in every conceivable way. That 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 would, in fact, turn me further from his kingdom because I'd be even more focused on stuff than I am now. Um, when, when, we, when we let God's will drive this ship, then all of a sudden, the strength becomes a, a gift and not a, why isn't it working, O oh Lord, question. Are, are you with me on this? Yeah. yeah? Any questions or comments? No, no you're doing good? Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, can we go to 2 Corinthians 5.17? 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Um, Where is God's will for you actualized? Where is this strength actualized? If you are in Christ, because this is what we say, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Where are you in Christ? How do you know? Your baptism. How are you a new creation? Well, do you not know that you must be born again of water and the Spirit? How do you become a new creation? There, where the old passes away and the new has come. Where we are united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. In baptism. And so this is how we find out if we are in Christ. If we want to play name it and claim it. The problem is that I name it and until I have claimed it, I am not in Christ. 
Whereas here I can say, am I strong in the Lord and the strength of his might? Well, am I in the Lord? Am I baptized? Yes. Am I strong then? Strong enough to endure even the grave? I will rise again. If you want to put it the other way, then all of a sudden we have to deal with, with um, strongman politics that, that have by and large encapsulated our world today. And so what I mean is it's not just that um, clearly God does not care very much about um, brown people in Africa or South America because they're poor. And if God really loved them, they would have named it and claimed it. How horrible and racist is that? Do you really want to make that statement? God only loves rich people, and since most rich people um, are, are in um, North America and white, God really, really only cares about. No, of course not. That's sinful. Did God die for all the world? Yes. Well, then that's not it. And, and worse yet, what you end up then is anybody who has power, you must say, well, that's a godly man. Is that the case? Most certainly not. Here we mark it by the place where Christ would mark it. Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. So I want to make sure that I'm in the Lord. What does it look like? This strength then, ultimately. Uh, this is our Romans chapter 6, 3 to 5 thing that we've done. Romans 6, 3 to 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ is raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What does the strength of the Lord look like? First you die, and then you rise. Is that different from the strength of the world? Why is it maybe important to remember that distinction? We don't want to put our trust in simple things that are going to fade in this world. But also, when we are weak, when we are dying, do we believe that we're cut off from Christ and his strength? That's where Christ's strength was actualized. His strength is made perfect in weakness. His power is made perfect in death. So, this is our religion. We start recognizing that we are dust, and to dust we shall return, so I need to be the dust that rises again. I need to be the baptized dust. Are you with me on this? Questions or comments? Because when, when you want to market strength as something that looks different than um, the passion of Christ, it's, it's just not God. I, I don't care what it is, but ultimately strength is leading towards this one point, that Christ would die and rise again. And if you want to market Christian strength as anything other than this, it is not Christian. Um, and ultimately, these things, these things fall. And so when a strong man, fully armed, guards his house, his goods are at peace. Is it a parable? What has to come along? The stronger man, right? And he binds the strong man and sets loose the treasure. If you want to mark it just by how much you can push around, recognize that ultimately the grave comes for everything in this world. And so you need something that can endure the grave, something that can bind the strong man. You need Christ, who, by his death and resurrection, sets us free. Are you kind of with me on this? Yeah? Yeah? All right. Y'all should be way ahead then. She's three. 
Okay. Silly daddy. Um, one of the places where we, we kind of struggle with this is um, in the Old Testament. Um, a, a lot of, of when we go to the strength of the Lord kind of thing, we, we flee to the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, you have the mighty men of God, right? The guys who just do really cool stuff, who fight wars, who do manly stuff. Um, Joshua. I'm going to read you a, a, a chunk of, of Joshua. Um, I'm going to start at verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. Um, and I'm going to probably about finish the chapter, but I want to talk about this. Because what do we know about Joshua from Sunday school? Help me out. There are a lot of pastors kids here. Yeah, yeah help me out. He fought the Battle of Jericho. I'm going right for that one. Um, Joshua fought people. And so from this, yeah, it is just about everybody's confirmation verse anymore. I don't think I've done a year or two without it happening. Um, Joshua, starting at verse 6, so we can, we can ease in our, our way. Uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So you shall be be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's just stop right there because everybody loves that one. Why does Joshua 1.9 get highlighted and put on flowery language plaques from Hobby Lobby? And... I'm not trying to ruin it. Like, I'm truly not. Yeah, of course it's a comfort. Be strong. Be not afraid because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How? Is Lord with you though? Like the Lord is with me, and so I'm not going to be afraid, and I'm going to be strong and successful when I rob this bank. Well, it's sad. Good. It says the law will not depart from you. So we're, yeah. His word, his will, his law. So when we talked about the law, as we sort of worked our way through this book, we remember that, first of all, we can say sin breaks stuff, right? So if we want to talk about this, God didn't sort of arbitrarily give the law simply to frustrate our desire. And so God was mad at Adam and Eve because they ate the fruit they shouldn't have ate. And, and so he said, you know what? Now you can't touch each other before you're married. Just feel really guilty and uncomfortable about it all the time. And don't even take each other's stuff. That's wrong. Don't gossip. I, I just want you to feel bad all the time. Or does maybe when we do these things, life get worse? You want to live where everybody steals your stuff or not? No. no. So, if God's law, then, is, is a, a, an aspect of his will, I can say God's strength will be revealed in a healthy family, in a God-fearing family. Not because they're better, but because at the end of the day, God says, hear my word and good things come from that. You receive my gifts. Honor your father and mother and good things come from that. That you're not pulling your hair out. At the end of the day, don't kill each other. Obviously, good things come from that. Don't commit adultery. Be chaste. What if God actually wanted you to have a healthy and happy family? Remember, we worked all the way through that. 
The things that help you build a healthy and happy family, God's on board with. The things that take away from it are wrong. Which is why when Luther in his catechism is after this thing, he doesn't just list out all the wrong, naughty things to do in the sixth commandment. It's not, don't look at that, don't touch that on there, this is where the line is, this is first base, second base. It's, look, we should fear and love God that we lead a chaste and decent life in what we say and do. And husband and wife love and honor each other. He's building something up because God actually wants you to have a healthy, happy family. This is where the strength of the Lord is exuded. Um, And so when we want to deal with Joshua, even Joshua, who goes off and fights war, what we recognize then is is the Old Testament is a a literal playing out of, of what is spiritual now. And so where Joshua misbehaved, even when Joshua's people misbehaved, were they winning battles or were they losing battles? What if somebody, when they were told, don't take the treasure from the city, just burn it all. And somebody said, yeah, but I'm going to take that. I think it's Joshua 10. They start losing. If you really want to live by thievery, you might find little gains here and there, but in the end, how's it going to go? Poorly. By and large, poorly, even consequentially in this life. But how much more before the Father on the last day? Uh. Are, are you kind of with me on this? Uh-huh. Any questions on this? This be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. What we want to then find is ultimately God's will. Because this strength will come all by itself. Because, well, God is strong. We want to worry about what is God's will. How do I know what God's will is? I look to his word. His law, his gospel. And there I find my peace because am I in the Lord? Not because I behave. Not because I can do all things. Not because I have claimed enough. But because I am, first of all, in Christ. I have been baptized. And so from this comes all things. New life that actually does live in Christ. And finds joy in this. Peace in this. Um, any, Any questions here? All right, let's deal with the armor of God then. Um, I don't know how, we're not going to get too, too much into this tonight, but uh, we'll get started. Uh, Put on then the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so I I get my cardboard finally. I don't care what you say. Um, Put on then the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. I want to go 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 53. 1 Corinthians 15, 53. All right, if I am told I have to put on the whole armor of God, let's see what that looks like. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Is Paul after the same thing? It's like he's recycling a sermon. 
That's okay. We have, again, in the Lord, over and over again. If you want to be strong, if you want to endure, if you want your work to succeed, first of all, don't worry about the stuff. Worry about being in the Lord. Are you baptized? Then take a big, deep breath, because God has promised you something here that will come to pass. The mortal body will put on immortality. The perishable will put on imperishability. Death will be swallowed up in victory. What's that look like? Yeah, this is the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And so on the last day, I will see fully this idea that that death will be swallowed up in victory, that that this mortal body will put on immortality. And so I can say right now, I I have peaked. I am on the other side of 30, and so things are going wrong. And from everything that you've told me, it's going to get worse. Um, I'm, I'm super excited about it, you guys. I just, I just can't wait. Um, I, I recognize right now the limits of this body. I, I truly do. If, if this is going to be my all and my everything, I am clawing at a losing race. Because as I get older, this mortal body will become more and more evidently mortal and perishable. And so on the last day, my great hope is when I am raised from the dead, whole and undefiled, will I age? Will I suffer from the pains of getting older? Will I slow down? Will I run and not be weary? Yeah, and that's going to be great. I'm I'm very much excited about that because all the things that have been broken by sin, both the the sins that I've done that, that actually do make me worse, the sins that have been done to me that hurt me and stick with me long after I, I managed to cover over the scars, and even just the sin that has been so ground into the very dust of creation that, that the wages of sin is death, and it's evident all over the place. I won't have to worry about any of that. I won't look broken by sin anymore, and that'll be fantastic. But even now, though, can I talk this way? Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, through Christ Jesus, who has given us the victory. Do you have the victory right now? Can we talk about death so much that it is defeated that we'll actually say you're just going to sleep and you'll wake up again? That's called Christianity. Um, That's called certainty. That's called comfort. Um, And it flows from knowing which side you're on, even now, before the judgment ever comes. And so I can say, when I ultimately stand on the last day before the second person of the Trinity, that that he might account um, all that I have done, both good and evil, what will I hear? Well done, thou good and faithful servant, or, yeah, no, sorry. Well done, thou... How, how come? Because I've done some stuff. Y'all don't even know. Christ has borne it for me. How do I know? Me. Not just that he died and rose, but how do I know that it's mine? I'm baptized. I've already been united with Christ in his death, and so I've been united with him in his resurrection. Already right now, I would dare to call you saint, which means holy one, which means belongs to heaven. Because this has already been worked out, not by you, not by your works, not by you doing enough, buying enough, praying hard enough, giving yourself, none of it. But simply by this, Christ has borne it all for you. So look to the places where he's bringing it. Look to your baptism. 
And then already we can talk this way. Put on then the whole armor of God. Put on the resurrection of the body. Not, not on the last day, but put it on right now. This is how Paul is closing Ephesians. Put on the resurrection of the body while you're still alive. How do you have to do that? How do you have to do that? How do you put on the resurrection of the body right now? Yeah, you remember your baptism. How do you remember your baptism? You can make the sign of the cross. Not Roman Catholic voodoo, just, hey, dummy, you're baptized. It's going to be okay for you. You can touch water. You can read scripture that talks of these things. You can be called a saint by your pastor. We, we live baptismally. There is a liturgy to this so much that it, it infects how we wake up in the morning, the first thing we do, and how we go to bed at night, the last thing we do before we, we let our head hit the pillow. We live baptized because everything else in this world is stacked against us, and the wages of sin is death. And so if you want the armor of God, that armor of God has to endure death. And there's only one thing that does that. Resurrection. So put on Right now, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. If I can say, right now, I have put on the resurrection, how does that let me face sin, death, and the power of the devil? With confidence. All right, these are, these are catechism words, but let's, let's play it out a little simple then. Um, I, have, um, I have anxiety. Um, and, and so I, I just don't know. Everything I'm convinced is always is going to... If I get to do it, I will do it wrong. I, I, I truly believe that with every fiber of my being. And so if, if this is the case, have I already put on the resurrection of the body? Can I do something so wrong that it will somehow uncrucify Jesus and throw his dead body back in the tomb? Well then, do I really think so much of myself that I would worry and be anxious if Christ himself has risen? Do I really think that I can screw something up in such a spectacular fashion that it would somehow put Christ back in the tomb? Put on then the whole armor of God. All right, how about at the end of the day, I just feel awful because I have reflected upon my life within the Ten Commandments. And and, and I can say that because I I truly and diligently studied the catechism and I I have reflected upon both the, the commandment and the meaning, which I can do from memory because I study my catechism every day. Or I can just be a little, I know who I hurt. And I feel guilty. And I feel ashamed. Put on then the whole armor of God. What does this mean? For me. Who can't sleep because I feel guilty. Because I did something bad. Right. Remember what the armor of God is. It's the thing that bears us through death and unto life again. I let that sin go on Jesus, who bore it unto death and then life again. There is nothing in this world then that I can do that would make Christ turn his back on me. He has borne all my sins upon the cross. And so I can put on the whole armor of God that would extinguish the, the fiery darts of the evil one, which I, I didn't mean to give anything away there. Um, we can actually look forward in, in hope, knowing that this armor of God is, is a protection against sin. What about fear? Because I don't know what's going to come in my life. 
I don't know what tomorrow holds. Put on then the whole armor of God. What comfort is there? Put on the resurrection of the body. I don't know what comes between here and the resurrection of the body, but I know that the resurrection of the body is coming. So, is is there anything that can come tomorrow that's going to change that? Do you honestly believe you can influence the the day um, that, that Christ will return? Because this is something we fought about as Christians. Um, whether or not you can somehow like make Jesus come back sooner by witnessing more or by um, somehow pledging money towards the, the nation state of Israel, um, by, by doing something, can you somehow bring about God's return? Jesus doesn't know when the return is. How are you going to figure it out? Are you smarter than him? Because if you are, I want to talk to you. Um, maybe you should write my book next. Um, but, but if not, truly, if not, um, relax. How does God's kingdom come? God's kingdom comes when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as the children of God lead holy lives according to it. God's kingdom is in a place. It's wherever Jesus is. God's kingdom is not a cloud. God's kingdom is not a a, a nation that that, um, says God when we say the Pledge of Allegiance. God's kingdom is wherever Jesus is because he is the king. And so if Christ is here with sinners... Well, then the kingdom of God is certainly among us. That's what John the Baptist said. The kingdom of God is at hand, right here. That guy right there, Jesus, he's it. Be near him. And if that's the case, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know that there's nothing that's going to get in the way of God getting done what he needs to get done. So again, put on the whole armor of God. Find comfort in what he is working. If you want to put the strength of God um, entirely on your ability to fight something with a cardboard sword, It's going to go bad. Because as it turns out, we're sinners. And sinners die. If you want to put it on God's will, though, it's less about you and what you can fight and what you can squish. And it's more about finding shelter in Christ. Are you kind of with me on this? Questions or comments here? So then, if this is the case, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Um, let's go Romans 13, 12 to 14. Romans 13, 12 to 14. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So if I have on the armor of God, nothing can hurt me. I can just do whatever I want, right? Nothing's going to hurt me, right? There will be no consequence to my actions because Jesus loves me, right? No. No. Sorry, honey. And so, um, Zoe, did Jesus die for you? Yeah. Are you going to go heaven? Yeah. Yeah. Are you baptized? Yeah. Yeah. When you're naughty, do you still go to your room? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, In this world, huh? There are still consequences because sin breaks stuff. You will rise again, 
But sin still breaks stuff. And so, when God says, put on the armor of light, no longer walk in darkness, recognize where this strength might be found. Again, if you want to give yourself over to all of these things that he lists out, recognize the reason that he does it isn't just so that you should feel uncomfortable. But simply by the fact that if this is going to be the path that your life takes, it's going to hurt. Like, it's genuinely going to hurt. Are Are you with me on that? I'm not saying that you can't go to heaven. I'm not saying that you can't be forgiven. I'm not saying that Jesus didn't die for you. I'm saying that it's going to hurt. And Christians who want life and want to not hurt each other, well, they recognize then that these paths lead to ruin. And they say, do I really want to be involved in this if it's going to hurt people around me, even if I can't figure out exactly how yet? And it's going to hurt me. Do you know I love Cheetos, though? In moderation, they're fine. Moderation is not my my word when we do Cheetos, though. I eat the whole bag. Um, And that is like junk food, though, right? This is my point. You're right. Right. It does. You feel guilty walking into church if you've just done this stuff. And read this list again. How many of these things are done moderately, honestly? Moderation is not the key when it comes to this particular list. This is the stuff that takes over your life, whether you mean it to or not. And so if, if sensuality is going to be the be-all, end-all, then all of your relationships, whether you intend them to or not, will be defined by it. If drunkenness is going to be how you spend your time, then yes, it's going to impair you. And worse, it's going to make it just that much harder for you to hear God's word. Because we, we do these things because we love them. Because we feel like we need them. Because we're willing, we're willing to call them medicine or love. And when God comes in and says, that kind of sensuality is not real love. That's lust. I can show you what love is, but it's sacrifice. When God says, this drunkenness, it is not medicine that you think it is. I can show you the medicine of life, though, immortality even. And it's my body and my blood. Those are difficult pills to swallow when I've already made my decision as to who my gods are. He calls us then to put on the armor of light that we would not walk down these paths because they do hurt. It doesn't mean, again, if you've ever been drunk, you can't go to heaven. It means that if you want this to be your life, your idol well then, yeah, recognize it's going to hurt. Recognize it's not a path that's good. Armor of light, it means that Christ is our protector. And so the things that Christ calls good, I want to call safe. That's the power God has that no one else can. He can actually work good out of evil. He did it in the passion, right? Everybody betrayed Christ, murdered him, but God worked this. He even works all things for the good of those who love him. Um, It doesn't mean the thing itself was good. 
It means that God loves you so much that he's willing to, in fact, put on armor that you might endure. But part of that means also being able to call the thing bad, even if it was used for good. And so it was for good that Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. It was for good that Peter denied his Lord three times, but it was not good that Peter denied his Lord three times. It was not good that Judas betrayed his Lord with a kiss. It was not good that Christ was murdered. It was for your good. The worker of good is not you in your sin, but God in his mercy. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Joseph and his brothers, good. Um, and so again, was it good that his brothers threw him in a pit? No, but God meant to, in mercy, work good there. And that's an important distinction. Because I can say, well, if it turned out good, how bad could it be? What's the problem with that? If you want to measure things just by how good they turn out for you as to whether or not they're good, give me your wallet. It'll turn out great for me. It will go poorly for you. This is what sin does, though. It, it, it becomes very tunnel vision. And so I can say, well, of course it turned out for good. I got attention. I, I feel better. I got money. But it never quite notices the bad things that happen around it. And this is, this is our discussion then when it comes to so many other cultural issues. We can do the, the big hot-button issues here. And so I can say, well, um, a, a husband and a wife no longer feel joy to be around each other, and so they, they divorce. And I can, well, they say, well, look, I'm not miserable anymore. What bad could come from it? Tell me about the kids. You tell me. When Christ would actually call us one flesh and then rip a body in half, it's really hard to say nothing bad could happen when you rip a body in half. It, it just is. That, that, that goes poorly 100% of the time. It, it, we can do this on, on abortion. And, and, and so you can say, well, look, now this, this woman has you know, the, the time and the energy and the resources to pursue her, whatever passion it might be. And, and look how good it turned out for her. Yes, that's quite true. It turned out good for her, but it was not good. Um, in fact, what you, what you did was you, you stood on somebody else to try and get six inches higher off the ground. In the end, though, um, if you want to climb over every last person in this whole wide world, will you be able to build a tower up to heaven? You will just stand on the skull of everybody beneath you, and you'll still be short. If, if this is really just your attempt to claw over everybody else to, to increase your own standing... The only thing that makes you is alone at the top, still short of your goal. Because you will die. I'm sorry. All of us. This is the wages of sin. This is the Tower of Babel. This is why God in his mercy confused the people that he might speak peace to them through the Spirit on Pentecost. Um, we can do this then with so many other things. When we recognize, just because, um, and, and I, I want to maintain this distinction because it's so important. God can work good there. Can God, um, from a, a woman who's had an abortion, recognize, lead her to, to a, a path of, of um, utter faith, a recognition that, that this, is, this, this was a sin that Christ died for, that, that she is covered in his blood, and she will hear uh, on the last day, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and it was this cold splash of water that, that got her there. Yes, God in his mercy works good for sinners. That's the whole religion. But that doesn't make the sin good. 
It makes God good. It makes God merciful. That's what mercy is. Are you with me on this distinction? Because it's so important. We don't measure consequence. We measure Christ. If you want to measure consequence, you're going to get it wrong because you're only going to measure the things that are important to you. You're not going to measure the people who hurt. My man, people are more important. All right. Um, <laughs> are, are any questions on this stuff so far? Based on what we have talked about thus far, when we say put on the whole armor of God, are we setting a tone for defense or offense? What's the difference here between setting a tone for defense and setting a tone for offense? If you're defending, what are you doing? If this is the armor of God is your defense, what is it doing? It's protecting you. It's keeping you safe. If it's your offense, it's going to let you go and squash stuff and hit stuff with a cardboard sword, which I really want to do, but isn't the point. And it's never been the point. Even if you go into the Old Testament where all the wars are fighting, the armor of God has still worked as, as a, a, a shelter for God's people. Now let's go Exodus uh, 14, 21 to 25. I like this story. Not just because of Charlton Heston. Exodus 14, um, the, the parting of the Red Sea. Exodus 14, 21 to 25. Moses then stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. He made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. And um, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. In the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down upon the Egyptian forces and threw the forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us free from, flee from before Israel, for the Lord God fights for them against the Egyptians. Why is the armor of God your defense and not your offense? Who's doing the fighting? Lord God fights for the, the Israelites. They don't need to beat the Egyptians. They need to take shelter in the Lord. But will they be kept safe? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Just all the way through. Do you understand that distinction? If it is the Lord who fights for you, do you have to fight for yourself? What do you have to earn? Who do you have to slay? Nothing. Um, And this has everything to do with the very tone of salvation itself. I want to go Isaiah 59. 15 to 18. Isaiah 59, 15 to 18. Isaiah 59. What did I say? 15 to 18. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him. There was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. 
Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands, he will render repayment. Who's putting on the whole armor of God right here? The helmet of salvation, all of that. Huh? Who? God is putting on. The, whole, the armor of God is being worn by God. And then what did God do inside, wearing that armor? The same armor that we wear, by the way. He... Yeah. He squashed the bad guys. He repaid the wrath of the adversaries. So God became like us, put on the armor that he would have us wear, and then wearing this armor, squashed the bad guys. Did Jesus become like us in every way? Having put on human likeness, what did he do? He was given over into the cross. What happened on the cross? Genesis uh, 3.15. You remember that one? You shall crush his head, and he shall bruise your heel. What did Christ do upon the cross? What was the adversary that that was squashed? Satan. God put on the armor here that we would have us wear that he might destroy Satan which is why we can find shelter in it. So if I were to say, put on then the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, wearing the armor that just squashed the devil, will there be safety in there? Yeah, because God already squashed him. I just like saying squash. Um, <laughs> there, there's, a, um, there's an understanding to, to the atonement um, that, that somehow tends to sphere a, a little bit out of our Lutheran vocabulary, but it's wonderful, all the same, even if it's not like right in our wheelhouse. Normally what we talk about is something called the Anselmic theory of atonement, namely Christ in his mercy paid for your sin that you might have his righteousness. There is also something called the Christus Victor, understanding that, that Christ would be victorious over the devil, simply because of who he is. Um, let's go like um, Hebrews 2.14. We'll just recognize what the characteristics of God are in Hebrews 2.14. Come on, turn page. Thank you. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, That is the devil. Is that what we just said? Why would Christ destroy the power of death? That is the devil. We already said that, Dad. Get it together, Dad. Um, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) First John three eight. One more. Ah. Not appropriate. (laughs) All right. First John three eight. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason that the Son of God appeared was not for anything other than this, to to destroy the works of the devil. If there's something to God being holy, 
What happens when something unholy comes along? All right, fine. Let me do it this way. Do I want spiders in my house? When I find a spider in my house, do I put it in a glass and then gently take it outside to return it to its spider friends? I, I don't. I squish the spider. You know why? Because spiders don't get to come in my house. They get squished if they come in my house. That's just the rule. I am holy. And spiders are unclean, and so spiders get squished. So, if there is, in fact, a God who is by his very nature holy, and there is something unclean like the devil that would come along, what must Christ do for the sake of who he is, his very nature? He must destroy the devil. He must put that beast down. Any more than I could abide by a spider in my house, no more can the holy Lord our God abide by the devil so what must happen? In Genesis 3.15, he starts it out. You are going to get squashed. There will be a, a son of God who will be born of a woman who will crush your head forever, though you will bruise his heel. This is just what God must do. He cannot ignore the devil's evil. Um, and so now we, we find our, our joy in the fact that we, we wear this victory. If we are going to put on the whole armor of God, that we might stand against the schemes of the devil, well, then we're going to put on the thing that simply says, look, evil's going to be destroyed. You, you are clean. You are baptized. You don't have to worry. But because you are clean and because you are holy and because you are protected in the very armor that Christ would put on, that he might put down the work of the devil, can the devil destroy you, hurt you? No, you have the armor of God the resurrection of the body, the baptism. Are you with me on this? Yeah. Questions? Yeah. yeah? I don't know about you. Ew. You. All right. And you. All right. Um, just real quick then. We got a few minutes. Um, again, we're, we're summarizing in this, this chunk. So I want to go Ephesians 4.14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Put on then the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Whose deceitful schemes are we warned against in chapter 4? The devil's schemes we're warned against. We grow up in true doctrine so that we are not tricked by the devil. Ephesians 4.14, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro. We grow up into the fullness, the maturity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God. We learn doctrine. We study God's word. We learn about his truth so that the devil in his schemes may not lead us astray into trusting all these other things. Um, why do we study the Bible? How does the devil chiefly attack us? Through false doctrine. This is ultimately the biggest place where the devil will work. Through false doctrine. The devil is not so huge into possessing folks anymore, like making their heads spin around and whatnot. The devil is honestly not so, so huge on just sort of having you hit by a car. 
the devil is very much overjoyed by the fact that you might trust in your own works, that he might accuse you of your sin. The devil is very much overjoyed that he might make you think that there is no such thing as a God in heaven or that this God would have nothing to do with you or that this God would not become Christ who is crucified for a sinner. That you must earn this in any way. This is where the devil chiefly schemes. False doctrine. So, how then do we put on the armor of God to resist these things? We, we, we put on the word. We study. We, we learn these things so that when the devil does scheme to, to trick us, we, we actually have something to fall back on. We actually have places that we feel comfortable enough where we can go and ask if we don't know the answer. Because this is something that has been given person to person. So in Ephesians 4.14, they're actually talking about the office of the ministry, where, where God would send out preachers to teach that you might grow in Christ. So it's not just study the book, learn the answers on your own, and pass the test. Half of it is even just knowing that you can go certain places to come up with the answers that you can't on your own. And if you're not getting those answers in that place, you need a different place. Your church is not just the place that makes you feel comfortable because you're related to half of them. It's where, it's a small town church is what it is. The, the church is where you can actually say, there's, there's answer here, there's, there's help here. This is, this is where, if I don't know what's going on, I can say, pastor, what's going on? And I know when he talks to me, he'll tell me the truth. When your pastor doesn't know it, he'll go and look it up from other people. We pass this down over and over again. We, we hand this, this word down from generation to generation. This is why I study the confessions. This is why I study with other pastors. This is why when, when pastors step away from studying themselves because they're convinced that they know it all already, really, really bad things happen. One of the things that, that you have done, um, as um, I had a chance to revisit my call documents here in Winside, um, was you insisted that I study and I learn. Not just that I pledge to teach nothing but the Word of God is revealed and understood um, through our Lutheran confessions, but you actually insisted in my call documents, I go to confessional study groups and I continue to learn and I continue to grow with other people because this is where the devil does chiefly scheme to pry us apart from these things. Are, are you with me on this? You're not alone in it. It's not me and my Bible figuring out all the right answers. It's, I believe, in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We fall back on the apostles' teachings. This is where the answer is. So if you don't know it, that's okay. But it's important to know where the answer is. So that when the devil confronts you with this, you can say, I know where to get the answer, even if I don't know what it is yet. Make sure you've got that. Um, but most of all, make sure you're comfortable with the fact that it's boring. Um, I, I mean that in that when we say put on the whole armor of God, um, we never teach the Sunday school lesson, put on the whole armor of God, by saying, all right, little children, you're baptized, learn the word of God, and here you find strength against sin, death, and the power of the devil. We say, cut out a little cardboard armor and a sword and go whoop something. And, and I'm not saying that's bad to teach little children. I'm truly not. But what I'm saying is when you carry that over into adulthood and you say that the armor of God is you picking up the cardboard sword and whomping on things, it's going to go bad. 
And so, most of the time when we go looking for something um, truly spiritual, are we content when the pastor says, but you're already baptized, hear the word of the Lord? Or do we need to somehow tweak our emotions somehow? Let's, let's roll in the music, just the right time. Drum beat, fog machine, lasers. Do we say, like, I, I need a mountaintop experience, and so I'm going to literally go onto a mountain. I'm going to go on a short-term mission trip, and I'm going to make sure that I spend two weeks and, and $5,000 going to a remote location so that even though that money could have actually really helped the people down there, it, may, it got me down there to paint a school that was painted three weeks ago by um, people who still don't really know how to paint, even though there are painters down there who could really use the work. Um, but, but I had a great experience in those two weeks. And so um, in, in my short-term mission trip, I really feel energized in Christ. And now, now I'm serving the Lord as opposed to when I was just baptized and in Bible study. The reason I say it's, it's good to, to deal with the shock of God being boring is because this is where the shelter is. That's what comfortable is, boring. If you're about to be in a car crash, you're not bored, but you're also not safe. If God says, put on the whole armor of God, and then he actually lays these things out where they're not just achievable, but common, because he actually wants you to have them, then you don't actually need to go across the whole world to paint a school so that you can feel like you're close to God. You don't actually need to feel all tingly-wingly on the worst day of your life to know that you have the Holy Spirit. You can find God working where he has promised to, where his word is being taught in its truth and purity, and where sacraments are being administered rightly. And there you can know, I have the armor of God. I have put on the the whole armor of God that I would stand against the schemes of the devil, that I would put on the resurrection of the body right here and right now, even when it looks boring. Boring is actually great, because boring means that death itself has already been destroyed. The action is finished. I'm just waiting on the resurrection. And that's that's a comfort. Are you with me on that? Yeah? Yeah? So how do we answer the temptation to uh, make church less boring? Because it is a temptation. You will never hurt my feelings if you tell me church is boring. The dentist, his feelings wouldn't be hurt if you told him it was boring there either. That's not his job to entertain you. You really want to be entertained on your ride home. You don't want it to be boring? Drive on the wrong lane. It will not be boring. It will not be good. It will not be safe. This right here, there's plenty of entertainment out there. And you're free in Christ to go enjoy it. This right here is about safe. Put on the armor of God. Find something that you can take shelter in so that when everything else has fallen apart, you've got this. This endures even unto life everlasting. That's how we address it. You with me? Questions? Concerns? All right. Well, that's what I got then. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all very much for your time.